0: FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive
1: Director Jackie Clement, Fast Chat features notables in news, media, and business. Hi, I'm Jackie Clement, and this episode is part of a new series, one that looks at the state of local news across America. Now to do this, we're going straight to the source and talking with people who are working at some of the oldest media outlets in the country. So today we stop in New Hampshire and we are speaking with Stephen Fowl, who's the editor at the New Hampshire Gazette. Thanks for joining us, Steve.
0: Well, happy to be here.
1: Your newspaper, if I have done a little bit of my research correctly, has a strong history of dissent to its credit. <laughs> <laughs> So I very much look forward to you explaining to me um, about your newspaper and very much about its history because we're going back to before the American
0: Revolution, I think, right? We sure are. In fact, uh, the uh, it was it was a, an act of uh, defiance that got this paper started in in the first place. We need to go back to Boston in 1754 the uh provincial legislature was scheming to put together to to put a tax on spirits and naturally there were people in the boston area who uh didn't think that was a good idea they were against that they uh they went to a local printer who was not a, not a very prominent printer uh and they got him to print a pamphlet for them called the monster of monsters. And it was a uh, really an eye popping uh, satire aimed at the uh, at, at the members of the of the legislature, it said all kinds of scandalous things about them and suggested even more. So it was it was a pretty fiery, fiery little thing. It had boys out on the street hawking the pamphlet and a member of the legislature got his hands on one, and he looked at it, his blood boiled, and he said to the boy, where did this come from? And, all, well, apparently there were several boys selling it. And they had all been instructed, if anybody asks, to just look at the Inquirer with an innocent look on their face and say, it fell from the moon, which, of course, went over really big.
1: You know? Yeah.
0: So uh, the thing is, the guy who printed that was Zechariah Fowle. His brother, his older brother Daniel, was also a printer. But I think they had a. I think they had Zechariah pretty well pegged. Uh, I think that they knew that it was he. It was him who did it. They also figured Zechariah being a, uh, he wasn't thought of all that highly as a printer. Daniel, on the other hand, was a uh, was an uh, up-and-coming, uh, hard-working, well-respected business person, and he was also uh, fairly recently married to the daughter of Hugh Hall, who was a v- very uh, well-off uh, merchant and, among other things, trader in enslaved people in Boston. Uh, his daughter Lydia. Uh, had married uh, Daniel, a couple, of, uh, I think, a couple of years before. And Daniel had, uh, as I say, was not involved in printing the Monster of Monsters, but he did lend his enslaved pressman, Primus, to his brother, Zechariah, in order to get the job through the press. So the, the legislators are just hopping mad about this thing. And they sent the bailiff out to uh, bring in whoever printed this thing. Well, they go to Zechariah's print shop, and Zechariah is a very peculiar guy. As I say, they had you know they had reason to suspect that uh, Primus had helped print the thing, and so they said, well, let's get Daniel, drag him into the state house, the old state house. Now we call it the old state house. In those days, it was the new state house in Boston. And uh, they drug him up before the legislature and they interrogated him for hours. They didn't like his answers. He didn't like their questions. They sent him up to the attic to cool his heels for a while while they debated what to do. They brought him back down. They interrogated him more. Uh, and he uh, gave him some fairly sassy answers. One of them accused him of lying, and he said something to the effect that, uh, I know what a lie is as well as you. The end result of all that, they threw him in the stone jail, along with murderers and thieves, and he was there for days. Some people's heads cooled off a little bit, and they said, well, maybe you've learned your lesson. Uh, You're free to go. And he said, you put me in here most publicly. You can escort me out the same way, but I'll not scurry away in the middle of the night to make life easy for you. And he stayed there. Meanwhile, being, you know, being the kind of guy he was, he had a pen and paper with him and he's making, furiously making notes about this whole episode. Finally, after he's been in for about five days, he gets a note from Lydia uh apparently they were just extremely devoted to each other. So she sent him a note and said, I don't I don't think I'm gonna live if uh, if if this goes on. So at that point he says, Okay, I'm out of here. He was not a man to let bygones be bygones. He wrote a pamphlet uh, titled A Total Eclipse of Liberty, which was a just indignant charge against the legislature for what it had done and he read him chapter and verse of all the reasons why what they did was just completely off the books un- unreasonable unwarranted uh illegal just he just went after him hammer and tongs uh and then following that he sued him he said this is this is this isn't right and i'm not going to let you get away with this well, that suit dragged on and dragged on and uh, uh, and eventually he was not able to get any sort of satisfaction from them at all. Okay. Finally he said, okay, that's that's it. I've got better opportunities elsewhere. And he uh, left Boston, came to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, established the first print shop in New Hampshire. and in October of 1756, Founded the New Hampshire Gazette, first newspaper in New Hampshire. We'll skip over the next, oh, 25, 30 years, because obviously when I start telling these stories, it just takes far too long. (laughs) Daniel lived until 87, and uh, he never did have any uh, uh, children who survived infancy. Lydia died young, five or six years after they got up here. Daniel left the paper to his uh, apprentice John Melcher. Melcher ran it for many years. Uh, Daniel also left his enslaved pressman Primus in the care of Melcher. Primus outlived Daniel, and uh, and also uh, we have reason to think that we know where Primus is probably buried, which is more than we can say for. Uh, For Daniel, whose current whereabouts are unknown, we think that uh, Primus is probably buried over in the uh, Negro Negro Burying Ground, the official title of it, uh, which was discovered, oh, I think it was 2013 over on Chestnut Street here in Portsmouth. They were digging to put in, uh, you know, to, to do some underground utility work, discovered a bunch of coffins. Looked in the old records. Oh yeah, that's where the old Negro burying ground was. Now that stretch of Chestnut Street is now uh, dedicated to to that site. So,
1: so it's now a historic site.
0: It is. It is. Okay. And and we suspect that uh, we suspect that Primus is you know almost certainly there. Mm-hmm. Whereas Daniel. You know, I've I've looked for for years in in records and can't find a trace of him. He just seems to have vanished off the face of the earth.
1: And what became of Zechariah?
0: Zechariah ended up here in Portsmouth. He's he's a flawed man. You know, he relied on enslaved labor to print everything he printed. Uh, uh-huh. new, this this newspaper included. And for a guy who was so Jealous of, his, of of the protection of his own liberty, he seemed not to be fully cognizant of the fact that he was depriving primus of his liberty 24 hours a day. You know, it's, it's the 18th century. He had his good qualities, Daniel did. Uh, and he's balanced on one side by his older brother, a, a gambler and a lunatic, and his younger brother, who's... Just peculiar, and and not a very careful (laughs) printer at that. Uh, We know so much about these people in large part because Zechariah had an apprentice fellow by the name of Isaiah Thomas. Okay. Now, everybody's familiar with Isaiah Thomas, the basketball player, but nobody knows a thing about Isaiah Thomas, the printer. Okay. At the time, the monster of monsters was going through the press. There was a six-year-old in the press office, in the printing office, who stood on a stood on a small stool in order to be able to set type. Six years old, smart little lad, went on to become the publisher of the Massachusetts Spy, which during the Revolution, the uh, the British referred to as the Sedition Foundry. It was one of the more, more rabid uh, uh, patriotic papers of of the Revolution. And in fact, when uh, the, day, the day of the Battle of Lexington and Concord, one of the things that was on the British to-do list that day was to grab Isaiah Thomas and put him in jail. But... Being the clever lad that he was, well, I say lad, he was probably in his 20s at this point. He had had his ear to the ground. He smuggled his press out of Boston and out to Worcester just a day or two before. And in fact, may have gone back to Boston and been in, uh, in Lexington and Concord or that vicinity at the time of the battle, which is my theory on why the Gazette just, I think it was two, three days later, ran one of the first headlines in a, as we think of headlines today, uh, one of the first headlines in an American newspaper. Two words, bloody news. And it was a pretty accurate account of the battles of Lexington and Concord in the New Hampshire Gazette, just a couple of days later, and oh. I I have a theory that what if Isaiah, who had this, you know long-standing attachment you know and connections with the Fowls, had sent a note up to uh, you know from from Boston, from Massachusetts, from Worcester, up to Portsmouth, and said, "Hey, get this to Daniel Fowl up in Portsmouth. He'll want to see this." Okay. That may be how it got there. And then just just to wrap up with Isaiah, and I know this is, your patience is probably wearing thin at this point, but just to wrap up, one of the reasons we know so much about the Fowles and the Gazette and all these goings on is that in 1810, Isaiah Thomas published a history of printing in America.
1: Take me through this as to how you are related to
0: those Fowles so many years ago. Happy to. Daniel Fowl is my third cousin, five times removed. Okay. I don't quite know how
1: that works. <laughs>
0: uh, it's collateral descent. If it wasn't for the fact that uh, when I was about probably 10 years old, my father asked me, what are you going to do when you grow up? Okay. And I told him. Uh, I was going to be a pirate. Uh, And I think that in order to instill in me, uh, if not necessarily respect for authority, maybe a little fear of authority, he said, You know, there was a printer in the family way back in the olden days, and he printed something the authorities didn't like, and they threw him in jail. That was it. That was the story. And I think I've got it word for word. I'm about 10 years old when I hear this. Okay. 30 years later, I'm wandering through the stacks of the University of New Hampshire library. And I, by this time, I've worked in newspaper, I've worked four newspapers in New Hampshire. For some reason, it hit me that day. Uh, I wonder what I can find. I wonder, if, I wonder, I wonder. Looked in the card catalog, used to have card catalogs in those days. Printing, history of, go to the stacks, Isaiah Thomas, look in the index, Fowl Daniel. This was the first I'd ever heard of Daniel Fowl. Now, that's how obscure the New Hampshire Gazette had become, that I'd been working in newspapers in New Hampshire for 10 years and never heard the name of the guy that founded the first newspaper in New Hampshire. And the paper, which had gone on to become, in 1837, when the Maryland Gazette folded, uh, that was the year when the New Hampshire Gazette became the nation's oldest newspaper. You know, despite what should have been its prominence, the paper was obscure to the point of, you know, near non-existence. Well, what had happened was... uh, The paper, the Gazette, was bought in 1866, more or less, or sometime in the mid 19th century, uh, by a fellow who ran the uh, Chronicle here in New Hampshire, the Daily Chronicle. It was common in those days to run a weekly and a daily in tandem. You'd save some of the set type from the daily, Mm -hmm. and use it in the weekly, and send that out to the to the surrounding towns so people would subscribe to the weekly and they'd have you know it, it would cost less they'd have a paper once a week they'd see, see what's going on sort of a brief summary. those that became the pattern of the weekly and the daily a guy bought the well bought the both of them in the 1890s, okay. Fernando Wood Hartford and being a clever fella, He said, I'll bet I can make more money if I buy all the other papers and fold them. So he did. So he nuked all the, he he nuked the landscape. You know, there was nothing left but his uh, uh, Portsmouth Herald and the New Hampshire Gazette. He bought that when he bought the Chronicle. And Uh uh, he ran the two of them in tandem until 1960. Well, by that time he died and his son took over. They made the inexplicable decision to stop calling their Saturday paper, the New Hampshire Gazette, the nation's oldest newspaper. They were still billing it, you know, it as the nation's oldest newspaper. Inexplicably, they said, Well, we're going to change the name to the Herald Weekend Edition. By my lights, that would have been the end of the Gazette, except for one thing. the Herald added a line to its masthead saying, Portsmouth Herald, blah, 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 blah. Continuing the New Hampshire Gazette, the nation's oldest newspaper. Okay. So they combined the papers, 1960. Fast forward, 1989, I'm sort of scrambling, you know, working here and there, at newspapers trying to keep body and soul together. And uh the the paper I was working for was being bought out from under us by a guy who uh, none of us on the staff were looking forward to working for this guy we knew him too well we've been covering him for a long for a long time work for him uh, I've got a way out I'm going to take it. Okay. Well, one, of the, one of the things we thought of doing was, well, what if we scraped together all the money we got, which wasn't much, and started a competing paper and we can put his paper out of business and, you know, we'll have our own and we'll do it right. You know, okay. every 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 newspaper person's dream, you know, if I had my own paper, I could do it right one of the things that we were going to have to do if we were going to have put together a competing paper was, what's the name of your newspaper? Well, we don't have a name. No, you got to have a name. Uh, at that point, i have been looking into this New Hampshire Gazette for a little while now. Yeah. And it occurred to me, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We could. What if we called it the New Hampshire Gazette? Well, you can't do that unless you've got the rights to the trade name. Okay. So I went to Concord, asked at the Secretary of State's offices that who's got the trade name New Hampshire Gazette? And he said, nobody. Would you like it? I said, yes, mm-hmm. please. The former owners, the Portsmouth Herald, had failed to continue the registration of the trade name New Hampshire Gazette. Okay. So... I wrote the Secretary of State a check for $40, and it was mine. Okay. And so all, all this because of, you know, this story that my father had told me uh-huh. 30 years before. Right. And the funniest thing about it all is that years later, after I'd been publishing the Gazette for probably 10 years at that point, uh, my my father asked me, he said, how did you ever figure out that you could get your hands on that? And I told him, I said, "Well, you told me, you told it, it. It all started when you told me that story about the printer and the family way back in the olden days." Okay,
1: so where we are now, then, with the newspaper? Yes, yes.
0: Well, we you, get you to are
1: you're carrying on the tradition, though, that Daniel started with it. Are you
0: not? Well, I like to think so. I mean,
1: here's our latest right here. <laughs> All right. So, if I'm correct, I don't know how you would describe this. From what I see um, in terms of descriptions, people will define it as an alternative newspaper.
0: I wouldn't argue with them.
1: Okay. Um, uh, usually eight pages. Always. Always uh, eight pages. Why eight pages? We, we,
0: well, we used, to, we, used to, uh, we used to run more pages, sometimes 12, sometimes 16. But uh, it there was a point where it just got to be too much to handle. And so I said, you know, hey, we can do what we want. We'll make it eight pages. And it turns out to be a very convenient size for us. We have... 360 or so subscribers around the country. And okay. uh, by folding the paper up, we can uh, mail it. We, we send it out first class bulk mail. It arrives in a couple of days and it costs us the cost of, you know, well, 60 cents these days is the cost of one ounce. Uh, it weighs just under an ounce. That's the point I'm trying to make. It weighs just under an ounce. Uh, and so Zing for, for, for our subscription operation, it's just, you know, it's the sweet spot, you know, it's great. I see. And okay. It's, it's, it's big enough so that uh, you can, uh, you know, if you use the space wisely, it's, it's a pretty good read, you know, it'll, it'll keep you occupied for a little while, uh, distract you. Well, it won't distract you from the woes of the day. In fact, all it will do is you know, immerse you further in them. But but <laughs> okay. But but it'll do it. It'll do that from a certain point of view, <laughs> which which may which may help. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And how often do you publish? Uh every 14 days. It's a fortnightly newspaper. The only one I can think of off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, the only one I know of also. So now what made you choose
0: that? That schedule? Yeah. Uh it it seemed uh it seemed manageable. Okay. You you've got a uh when I when I first got my hands on the paper uh I published it in the form of a uh, you know what a ledger size sheet of paper yes. is 11 by 17. Okay. Yeah. Uh I uh uh I I was living in Hillsborough, New Hampshire at the time. There was a local print shop. I traded my typesetting skills for their printing skills. And we printed the paper both sides of a ledger seat, folded up in a sort of a complicated manner. Uh, And I uh, uh, mailed it, I had a mailing list that I had built in order to. publish careful warning fair warning uh there was a plan in 1986 to put a high level nuclear waste dump in hillsborough new hampshire and if you ever want to see a town wake up quick just tell them hey there's a high level nuclear waste dump coming to town okay. holy cats! it's a it's a working class sort of a community you know there's not a lot of there's a few wealthy people in town but not many it's people who work for a living. If if they have any net worth, any any wealth, at all, mm-hmm. it's in the house. Well, guess what a nuclear waste dump is likely to do to that. <laughs> so I started a, uh, a ill-fated uh, publication called the New Hampshire Home Defender, and basically okay. it 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 took the editorial line. Yeah, over my dead body, you will.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> and. Uh, it was, you know, it was poorly thought out. It came together, you know, instantaneously and poorly. Uh, okay. But I, uh, I, in the process of doing that, I built a uh, a mailing list. Just to, just to wrap up that end of things, after six months of seeing the response from the community, Hillsborough was one of 26 locations around uh, the eastern half of the country that were being considered. And okay. uh, I mean, if you if you Google this thing, it's it's like this whole thing just evaporated. It went down the memory hole. The Department of Energy saw the kind of reaction they got. They said, no, we don't need uh, we don't need an uprising. You know? OK, so mm-hmm. they, they killed that project. And there's still no place to put high level nuclear waste. And at the rate we're going, there never will be. When I started up the Gazette in uh, 1990, I uh, used that mailing list, sent out a uh, sent out the first copy to 600 people. I think I had 600 names on that list, and I got back a huge, uh, what I thought to be a huge response. Uh, I mean, they say in in. Uh, direct mail that uh, you know any response over two percent is is yeah. is highly successful. Mm-hmm. I think my response was like 15 20 percent I don't know just a whole mess of people said yeah send me the send, here's here's my five bucks I think it was <laughs> send, yeah, <laughs> send me the first six issues of this thing and it sort of stumbled along uh, as an episodical for a long time. Yeah. and finally I got it together to move over to Portsmouth and do the thing properly on a uh, on a web press. Okay. And uh so at that point, this is all an answer to to your question why fortnightly? Like, this is this is why people so rarely interview me. They said, did you see the last time somebody <laughs> tried to interview that guy? Uh,
1: no, no, this is fine. So tell me what what is the subscription cost these days?
0: uh twenty five bucks a year.
1: Twenty-six issues. Okay, so describe for me how how you would explain your particular editorial slant, if you will.
0: Because we're the nation's oldest newspaper, Uh I feel like we've got the license to do just about anything. (laughs) Okay, And, and who's to tell us who can?
1: Okay, fair enough. So give me an idea of what's
0: on your front page. uh, The top of the front page extends uh, down below the fold is the fortnightly rant. And that's likely to be almost anything. Okay. Uh, Then uh, we've got uh, the alleged news, Mm -hmm. which uh, lately I've been using uh, a fair amount of uh, uh, work that is available under a Creative Commons license. Perfect. It uh, provides some variety. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good work. Uh, and uh, in our current information environment, there's uh, things have evolved to the point where people do that. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm happy to take them up on it because it allows me to uh, to fill the paper with stuff that uh, is worth reading. Uh we've got uh, uh, we've got our own cartoonist, a fellow named Mike Dater, who uh, has a uh, unique talent for conveying the uh, peculiarity of living in a world that runs the way the one does that we're living in now, apparently. Mm-hmm. When I see people on the street, they say, tell Mike his latest work is his best yet. In the, in the middle of the paper, we've got uh mash notes, uh, hate mail and other correspondence. People seem to people seem to like that too.
1: Okay, so are you responding to hate mail or you're writing hate mail to
0: other people? <laughs> well, fair question. Uh <laughs> we don't get very much hate mail, uh okay. which which I find disappointing. I, I wish we got more hate mail because it's because it's so much fun. If everybody agrees with you, what's the point of of anything? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I like to I like a little resistance. Hmm. Uh, and then on the back, we've got uh, Admiral Fowles uh, Piscataqua River title guide, not for navigational purposes, and. Uh, it shows the state of the tide for the upcoming yeah. fortnight. And then uh, these tiny little columns here are just various odd events that have taken place on that date in history. Okay. And that's that's one of my favorite parts of the whole paper. I, uh, I, when I'm putting the paper together, I always start there and working away from the back to the front.
1: I see. OK, so so given that yours is a rather unique type of publication, do you yes. believe you have any competition?
0: Every paper that I'm aware of is getting a day older every day. But frankly, I don't think any of them are going to catch up. OK,
1: OK. Are, are there. Um...
0: I mean, they're, they're uh there are papers out there. I'm sure that there are papers out there with uh, with better qualified editors who are providing a better editorial package. But I'm doing the best I can. There are other papers out there that are. There, I mean, there's any there's any number of news organizations out there that are trying to uh, to do what a newspaper's job is. I think, and that is to say. What in the world is going on out there? Uh, one of the things that, that disturbs me about uh, just get your average paper, say, let's just take your average paper. Okay, your average paper belongs to some huge chain. It's being strangled.
1: Uh, it,
0: it is inadequately resourced. It is constrained by old habits that should have been discarded a long time ago. And it's afraid to walk up to, uh, it, it it's afraid to confront the monster of monsters. Well, in our paper, it's not a problem. You know, we can just, confront. we can, we can confront the truth head on and say, yeah, we are in, <laughs> we're really in a pickle here. And, uh, our standard methods of conducting politics don't seem to be doing a terrific job of countering the magnitude of that problem. Gotcha.
1: Okay, I see where you're coming from. All right. And now I wanna talk to you about truth though, because I have a question, because I have noticed as I've been going through names and old newspapers and other old media outlets, Everybody claimed something and sometimes multiple places claim the same thing so it's a little confusing. So, okay, you say you are the oldest newspaper in America, but the Hartford Current also says that.
0: So, they were founded later. Okay, how can they be older if they were founded later? I don't know, you explain this to me. I'll ask them to explain
1: it to me, but I'd like your take on this.
0: Well, I think that uh, it's been a long time since I've had to confront this issue. My recollection is this, Uh that they they used to say that they were the oldest newspaper. And then they, uh, and I think that they have since then dialed it back a little bit and begun calling themselves uh the oldest daily paper oh okay and since we're not a daily you know we don't have to and uh, you know we don't claim to be the oldest daily we're not the oldest daily we're not a daily gotcha okay i i kind of like the uh you know in in journalism uh fewer words is frequently better uh you know there's a lot to be said for uh for being succinct and yeah. I like the fact that we can uh, state unreservedly that we are the nation's oldest newspaper. Okay. Do you consider yourself a journalist? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Uh, the writings that are in the paper, do you do, you do most of the writing yourself, or...?
0: Yeah, if if it's got somebody else's name on it, they wrote it. But if it's got nobody's name on it, I probably wrote it.
1: I, I have a general question that I kind of ask everyone. Yeah. Which is, you know, why do you
0: do what you do? Well. I think the reason and we're in danger here of wandering down a very dark path into a very dark place, as I. Hit it earlier, I was not exactly, I was not completely with the program when I was younger. And we're talking, well, graduated from high school in 66, uh, applied to some colleges, and they all said, "Eh, we'll pass. Okay. One thing led to another. I ended up in the Army, uh, and I ended up in Vietnam. That was a very eye-opening kind of experience. Have you ever seen a, uh, a vid- piece of video of a one of those huge industrial presses in an automobile manufacturing plant where they like stamping out the hoods of cars? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's this mammoth thing, and it comes down with a huge crunch, and then what had been a flat sheet of steel comes out the hood of a car. Yeah. Well, it had that kind of effect on me and and it, and it took me a long time to figure things out uh long time and it took me a lot of time in company with other guys who had been through you know that particular mill uh yeah. uh in order to uh kind of come to terms with it so for a long time after vietnam i sort of bounced around uh doing uh, i i i used to call it uh, Taking the geographical cure, maybe if I go someplace else, I'll fit Mm -hmm. better on the planet. You know.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And uh, you know, gradually it dawned on me. Now that's not working either. What it amounts to is that uh, it's an alchemical process. You know, I described this huge stamping machine. That's sort Mm -hmm. of a mechanical process. It turned out what I needed was an alchemical process. I needed to convert that thing that experience into something else. And uh, it turns out that, and and it sort of ties together kind of neatly too, because the reason we were in Vietnam was because a lot of people lied to us and they kept on lying to us all the way through it. And ever since they've continued lying to us about it and about other things. And, uh, so the only antidote for, for a world that's just overrun with lies is to uh, try to tell the truth. And, uh, you know, what better tool than an ounce of newsprint? The Fair Media Council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media-savvy society. For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming Fast Chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org.